There is a Mexican restaurant in this area that I, I normally visit maybe three or four times a year. And there's a waiter who works there that I always love to talk to because he loves Jesus and he knows that I love Jesus too. And even though we hardly know each other, I know his name, he knows my name, and we love talking to each other. And we don't go to the same church. In fact, we go to very different churches. We don't live in the same town. We're not the same race. We're not the same age. We hardly even speak the same language. And we, we don't even agree on a number of Christian issues of secondary importance. But man, I, I love this guy. And he loves me. And every time we're together, we talk about the Lord. And we talk about what's going on in our lives. And, and uh, we've even prayed together a few times there at the restaurant. And we have to keep the prayer short because, you know, his boss is probably looking and can't get him in trouble and stuff. He's got a busy job to do. Um, yeah, the boss probably rolls his eyes when he sees me walk in. <laughs> ah, he's going to slow down business. Um, the only reason, though, this guy and I enjoy seeing each other is because of the love of Jesus Christ that God has put inside each of us. And we both know, this is what we know, we both know we're messed up without God. Both of us understand this. We both know that we, we have no hope for our future in this life or for after this life without God. Uh, we both believe that Jesus is God, and we believe that God has forgiven us through Jesus' death on the cross and through his resurrection. We, we believe that. And we both believe that God has, has made us new. Jesus says, uh, you must be reborn. It's this miracle that God does where he makes you into a new creation when, when you trust in him for the first time, and he fills you with a love for God and a love for others. And Jesus says that one of the trademarks of his kingdom is the supernatural love that his followers have for one another. It's, it's not a normal human love that everybody on earth experiences. It's a supernatural love that originates in God. And it's a love that produces great joy in our hearts, and at the same time, it's much deeper than, than just this fleeting feeling. The love of God, as we talked about the past two weeks, the love of God in us rejoices in unity and harmony among God's people, just as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are united and in harmony. The, the love of God in us seeks to honor God by doing what he tells us to do in Scripture, even when it's hard and, and even though we often fail. And the love of God in us, it, it drives us to lay down our lives, to lay down our time, to lay down our energy and our, our possessions for one another because that is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus says that loving one another like this, it affects us. And it not only affects us, it not only affects our families, it not only affects our church family, when we love one another like this, it not only affects the other churches in our community, but it also actually affects everyone around us who doesn't believe that Jesus is God. How you treat non-Christians affects them, but non-Christians are also affected by how they see you treating other Christians. Okay. And Non-Christians are also affected by the way that we treat the people in our own household and 
loving one another like this is a great joy sometimes, and sometimes it's really hard. But loving one another is a command of Jesus, okay? It's not a, I really suggest you do this. It's a command from our Lord. And we can only truly do this. We can only truly love one another when God is in us. When we are filled with God's spirit as we trust in his life and his death and his resurrection that gives us this life. If you got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. This is kind of the third part of a short kind of section about loving one another. Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples, and he's giving them final instructions before his death. In, the, in a matter of hours, he's going to be um, praying in the garden. He's going to be arrested uh, in the middle of the night when nobody's around, he's going to be taken to a court where no one else is looking. He's going to be the next morning sent to another court where there's going to be a huge crowd that welcomed him earlier in the week and is now shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He's going to be flogged and then he's going to have to carry his own cross to Golgotha where he will hang on and die of asphyxiation. And this is his last meal just a few hours before that. These are his final instructions. We're going to read this. Before we do that, let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we pray to you now. We thank you for giving us another opportunity to open your word, to worship you, and to learn from you. We ask that you would please speak to us today through this scripture. Please help us to better understand what your love is for us, how great it is, Help us to learn what it looks like to be recipients of that love, to trust you, and also to be givers of that love to our family, to our church family, to our friends and community. We ask that uh, you would watch over the kids and the workers in the nursery and junior church. Please protect all of us from evil. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So last week we focused on what Jesus says in verse 34, that we should love one another just as Jesus has loved us. And today I want to start by looking at verse 35. We're going to focus on verse 35 today. Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So by loving one another, we're talking in the context of Christianity here in the church, all people will know that you are Jesus' disciples. And how, get this, how Christians are known to the world is really important to Jesus. Okay? Because we are the representatives of Christ to this world. Okay? We show and tell the world what Jesus and his kingdom is all about. And this is also why forgiveness is such an important expression of our love for one another. Because when we fail to love one another, which we often do, 
then we respond to one another in love by forgiving one another. Okay. So get this, whether we're loving one another or whether we are forgiving one another for not loving one another, we're honoring the Lord. Okay. And the watching world sees, and they see what Jesus' kingdom is about. And hopefully by God's grace, they see that Jesus' kingdom is about love, which at sometimes is expressed through forgiveness of one another. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a non-Christian for a minute who is looking in at human organizations from the outside. There are lots of organizations, lots of religions that claim to be true. Okay. But how many of these organizations and churches and religions treat one another in a way that makes you want to be part of their organization? How many of its members truly love one another? And by love, I don't mean only accepting one another. I mean truly loving one another, like we've been talking about the past few weeks, what it means to love as Jesus has loved us. When you watch, I have followed this, uh, I don't know if you have, I'm kind of sick of it, but I have followed this political race probably closer than any other race um, that I've ever cared to follow. Uh, when you watch the Republican National Convention or the Democratic National Convention on TV, you see, a, what do you see? I mean, I learned a lot about people by watching this. You, uh, you see a lot of people gathering together for a common cause. Uh, you see a lot of leaders standing on stage and saying that their way is the right way. You see a lot of angry people. You see a lot of name calling. You see a lot of accusations on both sides. But do you see a lot of people loving one another with the love of Jesus Christ? That's our calling. Get that? That's our calling, to be the ones who do that. When you gather together for a, a meeting at work, and uh, maybe you're with other employees, and you might hear from <clears throat> one of your leaders who know, who's going over the purpose statement of your organization, and and you get a better picture for how your job plays an important role in making the mission happen for your company. And if you're lucky, you might even enjoy your workplace. But do you see an abundance of the love of Jesus Christ where you work? Many of us don't. Most of us don't. Most of us don't witness on a daily basis Christian love expressed joyfully between brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is one reason why Jesus' command to love one another is so radical. Get that? Because most people don't ever see it. Most people don't ever see real love. Most people don't encounter other people who joyfully share what they have with their church and with those in need for the glory of Jesus. Most people don't encounter other people who go out of their way to encourage and bless other people because Jesus has encouraged and blessed them. Most people don't experience true community, joyful spiritual community with other people because they, they love Jesus. But if you were a non-Christian, can you imagine how compelling it would be to see this kind of radical love actually lived out among Christians. To see that these Christians, they, this guy at my work, this woman at my work, this person here, 
that I'm interacting with actually values something different than I do. Like, they're different than most of the population. They're, they're actually not concerned about progress with their job. Like, climbing the ladder is the most important thing to them. Making the most money isn't the most important thing to them. They actually they give their money away to, the, to others, to church, to, to their, those in need, to compassion children. Can you imagine if you were a non-Christian and you heard that one of your Christian co-workers was taking time off to go on a mission trip with his church? <laughs> That's crazy. Who uses their time off for that, right? I, I heard this week about a Christian man in our community who, who takes, who's been taking off half a day a week. This, you know, just, he doesn't get paid for this. He just takes it off. Half a day a week so that he can spend six or eight hours to doing a construction project on a widow's house. How, how awesome is that? Who does that? See, a non-Christian looks, in that, says, looks at that and says, that's different. That doesn't make sense financially. That doesn't make sense. That's, that's crazy. Why do you give up your pay and energy to do that? This guy actually shows what he preaches, what he believes. When you look back over 2,000 years of the history of the Christian church, you see that Christians have stood out most when we have loved one another and our neighbors radically. From the very beginning of the church, we read how Christians lived out this command to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Let's take a look at that. The book of Acts describes how the first Christians loved one another. How they interpreted and applied what Jesus is saying here, to love one another as he has loved us. Two passages I want to look at in Acts. One is Acts 2, 42 to 47. We'll put it on the screen if you don't want to turn there. Otherwise, you can. Talks about the first Christian. So if you've never read the book of Acts, you should. It's a great book. The four gospels that begin the New Testament are essentially the biographies of Jesus. Okay, and a lot of times we end with the resurrection. Well, what happened after that? What happened to the day after the resurrection? This is where Acts picks up, okay? So it's really, it's really fascinating to read. And what happened to these first Christians? Well, this is what happened. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So that was the disciples. They devoted themselves to what the disciples were teaching and to fellowship with one another. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Do we do that? Do we receive our food with glad and generous hearts to the Lord? praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, a few chapters later, in Acts 4, verses 32 to 35, it says this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So we talk about the unity, the harmony in the body. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Get this. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's awesome. The radical love and unity among Christians in the first century made them stand out drastically from the world around them. Fast forward one century, okay? A century later, in the second century, there was a Christian leader named Tertullian. And he wrote about how some non-Christians mocked the Christian community because they were so loving to one another. Tertullian writes, the pagans say, see how the Christians love one another? And then Tertullian says, for the pagans themselves are animated by mutual hatred. The pagans say, see how the Christians are even ready to die for one another? That was not an ancient virtue, okay? Humility was not an ancient virtue. When Jesus taught this, it was countercultural. Who are these Christians who are willing to die for one another? The Christians of the first few centuries uh, were filled not with a different Holy Spirit that uh, you and I have, and it's not that these early Christians were less likely to struggle with sin than you and I. Uh, However, according to many ancient Christian and non-Christian accounts, many early Christians were able to keep their priorities in the right order with love for God and love for one another right at the top of the list. <clears throat> Let me tell you something surprising. Cedar Home Baptist Church is not a perfect church. We do not have perfect programs. We do not have a big church staff that can perfectly meet all your needs. We do not have perfect elders and perfect deacons and perfect ministry leaders. We do not have perfect members and attendees, no offense. <clears throat> but you need to know that. We don't have a perfect church constitution and bylaws and policies. We are not perfect, and we never will be this side of heaven. You hear that? Now, yeah, we need to improve some things in our church, and yeah, you need to improve things in your life, and yes, your spouse and your children may need to make improvements in their lives, but listen to me. You will never find satisfaction in having a perfect church or a perfect you or a perfect spouse or a perfect family because those things do not exist, okay? You weren't created to find satisfaction in a perfect church or in a perfect life. You were created to find satisfaction in a perfect God, Jesus Christ, who made you. And when you trust in Jesus for the first time and then every day of your life as you turn to him, you find the one person who's already satisfied all of your greatest needs for love and for inner peace and for acceptance. There are a million things that as a church family we could fight over. As individuals in this church, there's all sorts of things we could fight over, but my prayer for this church is that we 
would radically love one another with our thoughts and with our words and with our actions and with our possessions. I pray that we would spur one another on to love one another. We would spur one another on to do good works. I pray that Cedar Home would be a church family that looks much more like much of the early church. I pray that Cedar Home would dumbfound the non-Christians around us who can't believe how gracious and loving we are toward one another because we're so filled with the love of Jesus. On the first page of our church membership packet, uh, there's a quote by Charles Spurgeon that I love, famous preacher in the 1800s. Spurgeon says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I'd found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join, if I'd found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I'd become a member of it. (laughs) Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it's right for anybody to refrain from membership in the church, it's right for everyone. And then the testimony for God is going to be lost to the world. Spurgeon continues, As I've already said, the church is faulty, but that's no excuse for you're not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. No, our church isn't perfect. No church is. But instead of focusing on what we're not, let's focus on who God is. Hear that? Focus on who God is. Let's focus on what Jesus has done for us to rescue us when none of us deserve being rescued. Have you forgotten the path you were on before Jesus entered your life? Some of you know real clearly because you came to Christ later in life and some of you came to Christ earlier in life by God's grace, but you were not on a good path. Have you forgotten that you're a Christian because Jesus came to earth for you while you were still a long way off looking the other way? Have you forgotten that Jesus died for you even before you loved him? He died for you knowing every sin you were ever going to do against him. Have you forgotten that Jesus was buried in the ground for three days, but then he conquered death and he rose back to life and promised that everybody who trusts in him will do the exact same thing? See, when you're focusing on those things, when you focus on the God who gave you those things, it's very hard to be ungrateful and unloving toward one another. Let's focus on who God has already made us into 
when we first trusted in Jesus. Let's focus on the image of Christ that God is patiently transforming us into individually and as a church by the power of his spirit. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your friend, as your savior, why do you need a savior? Maybe you don't understand that. I'd love to talk to you more about that. If you don't know him though as your God, talk to him today. Ask God to forgive you for your sins. He's glad and willing to do this. He's glad to rescue you from death and to lead you the rest of your days. And maybe you're here today and you're far off from Jesus. Maybe you were once close to him. Today's the day to turn to him again and to return to the Lord. Turn away from your sins. Drop the luggage that's pulling you down and making you not want to return to God. The only way for you and I to flourish in this life and after this life is to know God personally, to be friends with the Lord, to know the love of God personally. And Jesus says this is how you do that, by trusting in him And we flourish as we dedicate our lives to being his disciples. And when we do that, God changes us. And as a result, it changes the way we relate to our family. And it changes the way we view our friends and our school and our workplace. And our sports and our hobbies and everything that we do. And the way that our church will continue to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into a community of people that reflects the glory of God to God and to the watching world is by each of us individually treasuring God more. Hear that? We each individually want have to pursue God more, not just to the point where we trust him and celebrate his salvation. Yes, we do that. But to the point when we say, God, I give you my life. Take it all. I want to be like you. I know I'm not perfect, but thank you for forgiving me for all my sins, past, present, and future. Teach me what it means to abide in you, Jesus. Teach me to pursue you. Help me to open the Bible and read a few verses and wrestle with what it means and be thankful that you've given me the Bible and in my language, you've revealed yourself to me. Help me to be encouraged by the promises of God that are mine now because Jesus purchased them for me on the cross. Give me a greater desire for you, God. Help me when I don't want you. Help me to think less of myself. Help me to think of you more. Help me to think of my neighbor more. Use my life for your glory, Lord. See, if you have a church full of people praying that every day and fighting their sinful habits and their ways of thinking that way every day, then that church family will be filled with love for one another. If we're all praying that prayer, we're going to be filled with love for one another. And that church is going to be a brilliant light in the darkness that onlookers can't help but be curious about even if they totally disagree with us. The love we have for one another will speak for itself. Who in our church? It starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with me. Who in our church can you call or write this week and encourage? Who 
what families in our church can you pray for this week? And maybe you should talk to them and find out what they need prayer for. Who are the people in our church that you don't know very well? And, and you can break bread together sometime and get to know each other better. We're not here to do an event. That's not what the church is. It's a family. We worship God and we come together on Sunday mornings, but the church is a community of people that loves one another for the glory of God. Who are the people in our church that you haven't seen in a while? And you can call them and check in on them. Who are the younger people in this congregation that you could bless by taking them out to lunch or coffee and just encourage, encouraging them in their walk with the Lord? Maybe you could tell them how the Lord saved you, the difference that the Lord has made in your life. Who are the older people in our church who you don't know and that you could bless by taking them out to lunch and by asking them about their life? Who are those folks that you'd love to be like and learn from? Get to know them. Who are the people in our church family that you have been harboring bitterness against? for a long time. Does that honor God? Do you think he's helping you to live with bitterness and turmoil every day? Forgive that person in your heart just as Jesus forgave you. How can you use your gifts, your passions to serve our church family this school year? On our website, there's a section that it says, uh, get involved. And it's got a long list of ways that you can serve at Cedar Home, in our church family, in our community. And we'd love to get you involved here in serving here. Who are the teachers and administrators and students in our church family who, who are going to be going back to school this fall? And they may need some encouragement. And they may need some money to buy school supplies. Well, we have a lot of college students going off and Boy, I remember when I was in college in the dorms and I got a little gift box from somebody once and it was the coolest thing ever. There are all sorts of ways that we can love one another. As, as Christians, let's ask God to fill us with his, with his love and to always be on the lookout for ways that we can love one another. Okay? Now, may our love for one another also be wider than just a love for one another in our church. Okay. May we also love and encourage the other Christians in our community who don't attend our church. Now, if you're, catch, if you're just, uh, just as a side note, if, you're not, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, um, let me just say this. In the context of this passage, Jesus is talking about Christians loving other Christians. Obviously, we could preach sermons and sermons and sermons about loving non-Christians, okay? But because of the context, I'm sticking to this passage, trying to preach what this passage says. And so for that reason, we're talking about loving other Christians. But may we uh, love and encourage other Christians in our community who don't go to our church. See, many of the commands in the New Testament are given to a local church. And, to, and they were given to be uh, read in a local church, and then they'd uh, roll them up, send them to another local church in another town. They would read it out loud there. So they're given in the context of the local church. But other commands also apply to how we should interact with Christians outside our own church family and even outside our town. Uh, I was reading First Thessalonians this week, and I came across chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. And Paul writes, 
Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So Paul's telling the Christian Thessalonians that he's so proud of the way that they love one another in their own church, and also he's proud of the way that they're loving all the Christians throughout their region. And Paul encourages them to do this more and more. Now, it's really important to read your Bible, to know your leaders, to know your ministry leaders, to process theology and your beliefs with your community group and friends. It's important to understand why we believe what we believe in our church. But if we're only committed to working with and loving other Christians who are exactly like us, then we're really going to miss out on a lot of Christian friendships and ministry opportunities. See, I want to love and learn from and enjoy Christian friendship uh, with Christians who aren't Baptistic, Reformed, Complementarian, Continuationist, Mid-Trib, Pre-Millennialist, okay? Now, there are definitely primary issues of the historic Christian faith that we're not going to budge on, right? And those are listed in our church's statement of faith. But there's a lot of secondary Christian issues that we need to keep secondary for the sake of Christian harmony and unity and witness in our community and in our country and in our world. Stanwood is a very unique community in that the lead pastors and youth pastors of a number of the main Protestant churches here have long had good relationships with one another. Um, the Christians in our community often do activities with other churches and with Christians from other churches. We have Warren Beach Camp in our backyard, which unites a lot of us in ways that we wouldn't be united otherwise. Um, I've never been part of a community quite like this before where so many pastors and Christians work well together, even though we do have different theological beliefs about matters of secondary importance. <laughs> when people sometimes check out our church, maybe they're moving in from town um, and they visit our church, sometimes they're surprised when I tell them that I'd be happy to tell them and, and help them learn more about our church and also about the other churches in our area so that they can find the right fit for them. Some people have taken this the wrong way, thinking that I'm trying to send them to another church. Um, when in reality, I realize this church isn't for everybody. Foursquare isn't for everybody. The chapel isn't for everybody. If we Christians in our churches can stop seeing other churches and the ministries in our own church as a competition, then it will really help us to gain the kingdom mindset that God wants for us, okay? Jesus is building a kingdom. He's not building one local church. So it's really silly, honestly, to ask other people, how big is your church? How big's your youth ministry? How big's your children's ministry? As if it's a competition. That's why so many pastors hate going to conferences. Because that's the first question they get asked. <laughs> I stopped, when I was a youth pastor, I stopped taking attendance. Because I just didn't want to know. We were healthy. I knew we had over 50. But <laughs> that way you can just be ignorant. I don't know exactly. And that way you can encourage other guys and, and, and women who have small youth groups. You know? 
I really believe scripture teaches us to be committed to one local church body, but I also think it's really helpful to have Christian friendships and relationships outside of your church family too. Uh, For instance, I have a good friend who's a pastor out at Camino Chapel, and he's been a great encouragement to me. Um, I also have a mentor from Camino Chapel who's been a huge encouragement to me this past year. And think about this. Think about how loved our church has been by members of Stanwood Foursquare. A few years back, the Foursquare Church gave us a very generous financial gift to help pay for a chunk of this building. Much of the lumber in this building was donated by a guy in our community who owns Cascade Lumber and attends Foursquare. And we, we have a great relationship with a number of other churches in our area too. Now, I, gotta, I, just, I, I have to say this. I think it goes without saying, but I, but I want you to know this. There are also a number of churches in our area that call themselves Christian, but we won't partner with them in ministry because we do not believe and preach the same gospel. And as part of my job as one of the elders, as part of our job is to be pretty focused in on that, probably in ways that other people may not. But there are, if there are doctrinal issues or a serious misalignment in what we believe the gospel of Jesus is, we, we can't, we could perhaps partner with one another in other ways, but um, we're not gonna partner one, with one another in the gospel because we don't believe the same gospel. Uh, we still love these people, we still love their churches, but we cannot abandon our beliefs about God simply to be buddies with everybody. That's just reality. And we'd be foolish to. Jesus talks much about false teachers and wolves. But when like-minded Christians who agree on the essentials of the Christian faith link arms together and love one another, it is a beautiful thing. Not only for God, but, but uh, it's also a joy to be a part of that. It's a, it's a wonderful testimony to the watching world. They see this unity that Christians have in Christ. Okay, I, got, I wasn't planning on telling this story. I got to fit it in. It's only 11 o'clock. Um, my brother and I went to, sorry, South Africa this summer. Got, we were in Germany, and, and we, man, everybody's like, oh, they got great trains in Germany. It's going to be so easy for you. We got to, we're like, this is unbelievably complicated. We, we had to leave the airport because we had a 12-hour layover. And there are like 1,500 different trains in Germany, okay, that you can get on. And so we wanted to go down an hour south to Worms where Martin Luther took his stand against the Roman Catholic Church. And, and so, oh boy, we got lost halfway there. And because you have to go on like three different trains. And we, uh, I was the only one who brushed up on a little of German. Um, brushed up, learned, I never took German, but... We, walk, we just hopped onto one train. We're like, I think this is it. There was a, a teenage girl sitting at, uh, at, a, at a seat. The teenagers there ride the, bu- the trains after school. And I said, sprechen de English, right? And that's not, apparently not even the way you say it. And, and she's like, yeah, I speak English. And I said, okay, does this go to Worms? And she's like, yeah. And so we're like, Mark, we're, like we're sticking with her. So we, we just go <laughs> sit down right next to her, even though that probably made her uncomfortable. Um, we started getting to know her. And what do you, you know, what do you, what do you do? What do you dream, you know, what are your dreams? Well, I'm 17. I, I really want to go to America someday. And, 
and live there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool, and um, we live there, and, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're not going to help you out, though. Um, what do you do for fun, we asked her, and she's like, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm really involved in my youth group at church. You are? That's awesome. We were both youth pastors. She's like, really? And we're like, what kind of church do you go to? Baptist? <laughs> you, went, you go to a Baptist church in, in Germany? I thought you were all Lutheran. And uh, all of a sudden, we have this connection. This girl who could be like in our youth group. And I feel closer to her than, than you know, people I've talked to for years. It's just, it's incredible. And uh, it's cool to see how God puts different people in your life who love Jesus, even if they're not from the exact same background as you are. As we move into the next 10 years as a church family, and as Christians in an increasingly secular state and country, may we hold tightly to the truth of God's word, and at the same time, may we be committed to radically love one another more than we did the past 10 years. See, the world around us is not going to turn to Jesus because of angry, witty, hurtful, divisive Christians. The world needs to see that we have a love for God and a love for one another that is different from what they see everywhere else. So may we each seek to abide individually in Christ more this school year than last year. May we seek to abide in Christ as a church family more this school year than last year. And this is what will happen. God's love will increase in us and together it will grow us stronger together. And God's love will also flow through us in a world that desperately needs to see and hear about the love of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we uh, just give all the glory to you. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for coming to to save us from our mess-ups, to save us from our rebellion, to, to get us reconciled with God again, Lord, as we trust in you. Thank you for adopting us. That's what you say. You adopt us back. You adopt us into your family so we're no longer enemies. We're children of God. And as children, we're brothers and sisters. We're part of a family. And it is hard to love in our flesh. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would supernaturally empower us, uh, that you would help us to abide in you when it's hard for us, and that you would help us to love one another just the way that you have described in Scripture. You're an awesome God, and we thank you for calling us by name to your flock and calling us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.